Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. If you're listening to this, this is also a video interview with Cornell Thomas. Very excited for you guys to meet him. That's cornell-thomas.com. He's a motivational speaker, a father, entrepreneur, just one of the positivity experts around that's kind of giving it a new twist. Very real. And I'm really excited to introduce him to you today. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Elle. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Tell us, how did you initially get into this? Was there at some point in your life you felt like a negative victim, things were happening to you? What was that point of which you knew something was different and you had to change? Yeah, so for me, it's when I got injured. So I I got a contract to play professional basketball uh, in 2002. And a week before I was supposed to leave, I got injured. So that kind of disrupted my whole entire path. I thought I was going to be a professional basketball player. I was going to give money back to my mom and help her, you know, we've always struggled financially, et cetera, et cetera. And then when that injury happened, it led me to coaching basketball. And through coaching basketball, I realized that my mission really is to help people. I didn't know how I was going to help people. I thought it was maybe through coaching, but I realized that my purpose wasn't to play. It was to help other people around me. So I just started kind of thinking that way. And then to be honest with you, Facebook is what got me doing what I'm doing right now. Like I was on Facebook one day, I'm reading my timeline. It was super negative. It wasn't even during an election. It was just like just crazy-ish. And people were just talking nonsense about nonsense. And I said, people wake up and set their day with this. Like you wake up, you drink your coffee, you look on Facebook, and there's just a thread of negative garbage. So I said, well, what can I do to change what people see? So I had a book of positive quotations that was actually titled The Book of Positive Quotations. I just started taking quotes out of the book and putting them on Facebook. And one day I lost a book. So I wrote my own quote. And people liked it. So I was like, well, screw the book. I'm just going to write my own quote every day. And that's how I started. That's how it started. So I've always read like sports psychology books when I was playing sports. And I've always been fascinated with the mind. But my upbringing has been my best teaching. That's been my MBA in what I do. Because going through struggle and adversity, it's like your best. That's If you, if you actually learn from it, that's your best teacher. You just mentioned two things I want to jump into. One of my favorite topics is sports psychology a little bit. And We'll get into that for a second because, and I'll just throw out, Chi-Town, the Bulls, okay, Phil Jackson did a lot of mental (laughs) rehearsal with these people, and I know they hated it, but let's talk a little bit about positivity there. I mean, did you use that in sports at the time? Did you even know about it? or I didn't know about it until I started training to, to play professional basketball. So when I was in high school and college, I wish I knew about it. But when I got out of college, I was very curious because I started playing with guys that are in the NBA and, you know, playing overseas in Europe. And there was a book called Competitive Fire with your boy, Michael Jordan, on the front cover. And I remember they were talking in the book about your IPS, which is your ideal performance state. And they were saying that the difference between Michael Jordan and a lot of other people and athletes is that even if he's missing every shot, mentally, he's not talking himself out of the next shot. And that's what we do, right? In basketball, we miss a shot. And then we're thinking, I can't believe I miss. I can't believe I can't believe I miss. So the other miss comes instead of missing the shot, saying next play, assessing in a millisecond what happened, and then moving on. So I used that, started using that in coaching and in life now where I'm like, it's just next play because as soon as the ball leaves your hand, that moment is already over. 
And that's what Jordan was a master of. He could miss every shot to the fourth quarter. Then when it mattered, he'd make that game winning shot because he, he wasn't in his own head. He was past that play. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, uh, I used a little bit of, of it myself. I actually am a very seasoned basketball player. I know this is hysterical for people to find out if you didn't already know this about me, but I was on an undefeated uh, high school team in Chicago and I also taught basketball. And one of the things that uh, I accidentally used this for was I went in to go for the tryouts on the basketball team and I was the only white girl in the room. And at the time um, I got a lot, I was discriminated against verbally to my face in the room while we're waiting to go try out, they are yelling profanities at me. I didn't defend myself because I probably would have gotten my ass kicked. So I just sat there and I remember thinking, I'm going to go up there in that court and I'm going to effing kill it. Like, uh uh-uh, you can bully me all you want. Watch, like watch what's going to happen. Like there was so much intention there. Now I didn't even know about intention. Mm -hmm. I went to that tryout and let me tell you something, you know, you do the around the world. That's almost impossible to nail everyone. I nailed every three point around the world and was the only one that made varsity on that team. All those girls in that room who were shouting profanities at me, calling me a white cracker. After that tryout, they came up and they were like, girl, shook my hand. They were like, sorry. Um, but it was, it was like, I was like, no, I am going like every basket. I was like, you're in, you are in. And I literally probably, it was probably one of my best performances ever. And I think it was because the hate and the pressure, and instead of deciding to crumble under it, I was like, "Uh uh-uh, no, I'm gonna. And I was just like, make it, make it. And so it's funny because when I look back, I was like, I think that that's what I was doing then. Um, That's just a random story about basketball there, but let's get back to Facebook. I really like this. Let's talk about the negativity people wake up with there. Yeah. I call this a non-versation. You got (laughs) people, um, ripping on politics, you know, look what happened to me today, da, 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 da. And you can try to combat that all you want through words. Do you really think you're changing their mind? I mean, it's like also useless waste of energy. Can we, can, can you get into this? Yeah. Yeah. So you obviously are a big believer in energy. I'm a big believer in energy, right? So, and we attract the kind of energy that you put out. So when, when uh, we just had the election and, and, and Trump was, you know, nominated president, whatever. I had friends of mine, literally, that asked me, Cornell, what are you going to do tomorrow? I'm like, are you, are you shitting me? I'm going to wake up and do what I do every day. I'm going to work and do what I do. Like, what, do you, what am I supposed to do? Sit in my house and, like, sit in darkness and listen to Inya and not do anything? Like, what, are, what do you want me to do, right? So it's like, this is mindset stuff that I'm talking about. I'm not going to get into a political debate with you via Facebook. I'm not going to get into a race debate with you via Facebook. Now, if you really want to have a conversation, you can inbox me and then we can get on the phone and we can talk about it. And I've had that happen before where I post something and someone's like, well, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, cool, message me and let's talk on the phone. No one wants to have a real conversation. And that's the problem with our freaking planet. They don't, they don't want to have a real conversation. What they want to do is sit behind a keyboard and say whatever they want. Because a keyboard gives people a moral license to be ignorant to each other. And that's what I can't stand. So I don't even have that on my thread. Like if there's people posting, I, I just, you know, you can like just hide people's posts. Like I'll unfollow, like I won't unfriend them, but I'll unfollow and hide their posts. If I see like blatantly negative stuff towards anybody, nah, man, I can't rock with that. I'm sorry, because I don't want that energy on my page. It's drawing a boundary for oneself, isn't it? You're drawing a boundary and you're like, I'm not going to allow this to affect me. I personally don't engage in any of the negativity because I know how it seeps in regardless. And, you know, this goes the same for some negative reality shows. There are a lot of people who go, no, 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 I watch it. I don't get all into it. I just laugh at it. I think it's funny. And I say, 
oh, that's where you're wrong. It's seeping in anyway. You're watching human beings, the worst of themselves. It cannot not affect you. And if you think you're immune to it somehow, you're wrong. Try watching a horror movie every single night for the next 30 days. See how your life works out. <laughs> that's such a great analogy. That, like, seriously, I wish my wife was down here. I would, like, I wish she was down here. Because she comes in and she's, I'm like, my brain, my brain hurts when I walk past the TV and you're watching that. Because then I just leave the room. I was like, I just can't. I said, because it's not serving you at all. And people don't understand your subconscious. It's taking in everything, everything, all this negative garbage. These people in these stage arguments where they have to reshoot arguments and all this other stuff just to like, I started creating a TV show just because of this, because there's no positive programming. All the good shows are fiction, right? Like you go on Netflix, you want good fiction. Oh, wow. This we're the nonfiction good television, like back when I was growing up, and you can watch a million shows that are just well written and not all about like it had it as its adversity, all of it does, but it isn't just like you said, the worst of human beings going at each other and just arguing about things that don't matter at all. Let's talk about one of your sort of taglines, your 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 mantras, which is you know, uh, it's it's how, how to go from why me to what now? There's so many people that would say, you know what? That's cool, Cornell. You can talk about positivity all you want, but I just lost my mom. Uh, I just got a divorce. I just lost my, you know, I'm broke. I got all these problems staring in front of me and you want me to try to be positive. But the reality is that these negative things are happening. You know, that's a big objection. I'm sure a lot of people have come at you with. So for people that are watching that aren't in our space in terms of really reading and delving into this, what do you tell that person who's never even delved into this? Who's like, how can I even be positive when the negativity is around me? Yeah. I say, I tell people all the time, you have to understand what the true definition of positivity is. And positivity is not the absence of human emotion. Positivity is not living in negative emotion. It is per- perfectly okay if you, for you to mourn, for you to be upset, for you to be angry, for you to cry. All, when, when people, when I see like people in our space that are saying like, oh no, it's okay. Be po-, like it drives me nuts. Because you're telling people not to be human. You're telling people to be robots. And you can't robot your way through losing a parent. You can't robot your way through losing your job or getting divorced. Or You can't robot your way through that. you got to feel that, right? And all that shit that you feel inside, you've got to address it. Now, you can't live in it. Because we're only given, and these are non-guaranteed years, a certain amount of time on this earth. So my combatant to that is, Okay, look, you feel that pain, it's, it hurts, okay, but there's nothing you can do about it right now, right? It's already happened. So now you got to start working your way back to getting yourself straight. And in that work on yourself and getting yourself straight, right, you got to start b- throwing some positivity in that. That's not saying ignore what just happened. It's realizing that your rearview mirror is this big, your front window is this big. And if you stare at your rearview mirror for too long, you're going to crash. You're not going to see what's in front of you. Okay, so you just have to keep moving forward. It doesn't mean don't address it. It doesn't mean don't cry. You're going to have days where you're going to read a text message or hear a song and your ex, it's going to, it's going to bring you to tears. I would never say, oh, you're a weak person or blah, blah. No, man, let that out. But at some point, you got to get the car moving forward and you have to get past that, right? And start living your life. And maybe on the other, t- you know, maybe you could touch on this a little bit. <clears throat> on the converse, there's people, and I, I was one of these people that, there's strength in being vulnerable, you know, and that's a tough thing sometimes because 
but that it, this requires that because you do have to get into a feeling in order to generate and manifest some things in your life. So have you ever had issues with that? Because you seem obviously very open and vulnerable now. Um, I'm clearly like a confident, open person, but there were a lot of times where, you know, I even had friends come up to me like, you need to be more vulnerable in this relationship or you're not. And I was just, you know, it was, it was too fearful for me as a strong alpha to kind of be vulnerable. And the moment I did, it's, it's beautiful what comes in, the connections that are made. Uh, it's really, it's a shine of strength, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it, it's, it was very tough for me to be vulnerable because I'm the same way you are. I'm this alpha type human being. And I tell you, I'll tell you right now, Elle, for like 15 years, I didn't cry like at all. I mean, I had my grandmother pass, my two uncles passed unexpectedly. I was like, I didn't cry because I was raised by, you know, in a single parent home. My mom raised five of us since I was three years old. My father passed when I was three years old. And I, and I've only seen my mom cry three or four times. So my mom never told me it, was, it wasn't okay to cry. It's just me being the youngest boy. I said, I don't want to cry because I don't want my mom to think that she has to worry about me. So I'm going to just be super strong and super tough. And she's not going to worry about, about me at all. When I was at college, I remember my mom mailing me $5. That's all she had. And I'd tell her, stop sending me money. And she'd be like, I know you're not okay. I'm like, mom, I am fine. I will survive. Please stop sending me money. So I've always had that because I wanted to be strong for her. When I started doing what we're doing, that's when I started becoming more vulnerable because I was writing things that were making me cry and I didn't even know where the tears were coming from. I would write, I wrote a, my first book, I wrote a chapter called Letter to Bobby and it's a letter to my father. My father passed away from cancer when I was three years old. And I had all this stuff inside me. And as I started writing, I started crying. Like I literally just, it just started coming out and I, it scared the shit out of me because it's not something that I, I, would, I was doing. And I said, wow, this is like therapeutical, the things that I'm writing. Like someone saw the interview I did, you were on the same show, the Good Morning La La Land. And they're like, I didn't know you went through this, 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 and this, and this. Because I was like, oh, I'm just going to handle it. You know, you're the same way. Like, oh, I'll handle it. Like, I don't, I, don't need, I don't need to vent. I'll handle it. But that's false strength, right? The strength is what you just said. It's saying, hey, El, can I talk to you about something? Like, I'm going through this. Can we sit and talk? And like letting it all out. Because it takes real strength to do that. It's easy to keep it inside. That's not strength, right? <laughs> right? It's easy to be like, okay, well, I have a secret. I'm not going to say anything. But if I say, L, I'm going through some stuff and, and not worry about being judged, which I never will with you, but like being judged and all that stuff, then that's the true strength. So I'm 100% with you. And I'm st- it's something I still work on. I still work on it. Because there are times where I know that I'm like, okay, I'll just get through it. Instead of saying, no, man, like you need to let this out because it's, it's destructive if it stays inside of you. I'm really glad you told that story about your mom because that kind of made, brought a little, some tears to my eyes thinking about this is, this is a classic too with a lot of men, especially if they were raised in a way where they had to kind of be the head of the household or be, you know, they had the mom supporting them. And it was more like, again, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to upset mom or you don't want to think worry anybody. Um, or, or, you know, they're already so sad. You don't want to, you know, you're trying to, and, and all of that is kind of, again, pushing it down, isn't it? And I bet it's probably more classic, of course, with men. Um, you know, even though people like me have that issue, but I can see that uh, happening, or even if, uh, probably, a you know, being head of a household in general and just having all of the responsibility and liability, uh, of that, just kind of stifling that down, but it, it, it breeds kind of a, it's a sense of appearances, isn't it? It's just yeah. appearances really, because you're not truly okay. And then you're not connecting and then you're not making these connections with others. And it, it just creates a, you become more alone. Yeah. That's so true. Like, as you're saying it, I get goosebumps. 
because that's how I felt. I felt like it was me against everything else, right? I didn't feel like I had a team. And there's times, and being the head of a household as well, it's like, I, I feel like there's times like I, I just have to handle it and I have to go into my bubble and figure it out instead of like letting it out, right? So like, as you're saying this, I feel it because that's exactly how I felt. Like, it's just me. And when I was playing basketball, I felt the same way. I would go six hours, seven hours and work out by myself, you know, all day, every single day with this goal of playing professional basketball. So I was like, it's me against the world. You know, I know my mom had my back, but I was like, it's just, it's just Cornell. Right. So it's so much, there's strength in numbers. And when you have a team of people around you that are like, that love you and care about you and you can share things with, use your resources. What, what are, what's a really tough experience of yours that you might've powered through that later on you had to then go back and like, you know, go through the emotions and get that out. Yeah. I would say, um, my father passing away. I never addressed it. I never addressed it. Like I literally, my, we didn't visit my father's, uh, headstone once. And I asked my mom like three or four years ago, I said, well, why didn't we go back and visit, you know, dad's grave? And she goes, she goes, baby, what? She goes, I had to keep, I had to just keep moving forward. She's like, I couldn't, she's like, I have five kids to raise. Like one of my brothers has, you know, is autistic. And, you know, I was like, my mom was just so focused on like survival. Like we have to survive. Like I didn't, ha- she's like, I didn't have time on a Sunday to say, okay, guys, let's go. We're going to go see your father. Like we just moved through it. So in all of our minds, because my father's a cop in Pasek, New Jersey, and he walked the beat. And um, so in all our minds, it was like, okay, did that happen? All right, now what, like we have to survive, you know? So we, so I went to visit my father's um, headstone for the first time, like seven, eight years ago. And I just I had so much stuff inside of me and I'm sitting there, it's raining. And the guy next to him is, his name was Otto Kumitz. And I wrote a blog called Otto Kumitz. And I told Otto like who he had next to him. And I just talked about my father, you know, and, uh, and I, again, that was something where I was like, I cried as I'm writing, but I, I sat, I stood there and I just, you know, moved some of the, you know, weeds and stuff away. And I just cried. And I said, man, I said, this has been 30 some years that I, before I've like actually gone to this place and, and has, have been with my father, you know, and it wasn't until I started doing what I'm doing now and what we do, where I started seeing him more right? Like I started seeing like the signs, right? Because when you're open, your mind's open up to the universe. I tell people all the time, the analogy I use, it's like when you buy a car for the first time, you don't see that shit anywhere until you decide to buy a car, right? Like I'm going to get this red, blah, blah, blah. And the next thing you know, it's pulling up to you on the highway. It's straight, you know, you get it. It's everywhere. It's the same thing with the universe and not realizing there's another energy or power out there. It's like when you open your mind to it, now you can actually see the signs. Like why is this song on that hasn't been on for years that I just finished talking about with my friend? Like, why is it on now? Right. So I did a speech uh, two years ago for some special educators and I'm talking about my dad and I'm talking about my mom. And at the end of the speech, this guy comes up to me and he goes, Hey, my name's Vern. He's like, I was one of those kids. Your father helped get off the streets. And I'm like, I talk about now L, and I got like a knot in my throat. Like I'm like, I'm sitting there. I'm like, how does this happen? You know, like, how does this, like, this guy's mid-50s. My father, used to, I'm telling you, did junior police. He did toy drives, clothing drives, all this stuff. My father had this path of helping people. And I thought my path was basketball. And somehow, boom, we're doing the same thing. I'm just doing it on a bigger scale because he didn't get a chance. He passed when he was, like, 42. So I'm just doing it on a bigger scale, right? So it's like I'm in the same path. I'm aligned with my father's path, you know? So... Yeah, it's just, this is a special place that I'm in. And people are like, well, how do you know you're living your purpose? 
because it's seamless, even though you go still go through stuff, right? So seamless isn't like you're not going to have bills to pay and all this other stuff going on. Seamless is when you're in it, like when I'm doing this interview with you or I'm talking or I'm speaking in front of a couple thousand people, I don't feel, it's like, I don't know where the words come from. It's just coming. I'm a vessel. You're a vessel. The word, the stuff you said, you've coached people and talked to people. After you finish talking, you have no idea what the hell you just said because it's coming through you. This is just, you were put on the surf to do what you do, right? So yeah, it's a beautiful thing. I thank God for the opportunity for me to, to do this every day. And all the people that you've met and, and spoke to, and you know, it is, it is very, <clears throat> you know, you, you, you speak to a group of people and you know, you are actually speaking to an audience, but then it is, it, it isn't until the person comes up and says something very specific that hit them in a way that you would not have otherwise known if they didn't tell you. And I'm sure you get a lot of that. I'd love to hear about, well, I want to hear about a couple of things, but I want to hear about, you know, sometimes when you're talking to people that are on a stream of negativity and you're trying to kind of you know, frame them in a different direction, you'll see the light bulb go off. What are some times or phrases or things or points you've made or talked about where you see people go, okay, um, I kind of see now that I, 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 what I'm doing to myself here. Do you, do you know where I'm going with that? hundred percent. Cause I coach people like you do. And I always bring it back to gratitude. Right. So if you think about this, you can debate, positivity with someone until you're blue in the face, right? Like someone can say, oh, you know what? Great. It's easy for you. You have this big following, this podcast, blah, blah, like, and all this other stuff, but you can't debate gratitude. And by gratitude, I mean like the fact that you're alive. So whatever you say, whatever you, whatever, I don't have this, I don't have this, I don't have that, I'm blah, blah, blah. I lost my job. You're alive, right? Yeah, I'm alive. Okay, cool. Let's start there. Now, there are tens of thousands of people that did not get that opportunity that you have right now today. So you're in a percentage of people that, that made it today. Okay, so I tell people about um, their, their life and purpose and gratitude. I always bring up this analogy that I used in my TED Talk, which is I used to work at this pharmacy and sell lottery tickets. And I had this guy come up to me, this old guy, I love him. He's come up to me every day and buy hundreds of lottery tickets. And one day he came up to me and he goes, Young man, you know what? I've been playing this lottery for 30 years and I never got more than three winning numbers. You know, I'm like 18, so I'm like, yeah, you should probably stop. You know, I'm like, you know, stop, stop wasting your money. But as I got older, I started thinking about it. I was like, well, the lottery is a one in 175 million chance. So if you think about that, those odds, you can, there's millions of people that play it for the whole life, they'll never get three numbers. But for us to be born, it's like one in 400 trillion, whatever, you know, your pop sperm count is, whatever it is, it's like one in like 400 trillion. So if you think about those odds, then you have to understand just common sense wise, there's a purpose that you're, there's a reason that you're here. Now, a lot of people go their whole life without discovering that reason and they go to their graves not realizing that they have a mission and your purpose doesn't have to be some grandos save everyone on the planet. My mom's purpose was making sure that her kids got out okay. And she did that. So now my purpose is a big scale. So I can go and attack my purpose because my mom attacked her big purpose, which in her mind was like a smaller purpose. So I tell people just having gratitude for the breath that you have, because if you give me breath in my body, I'm changing my situation. I don't care how bad it is. Right? So if you, if I lose my job and I have bills and my bank account is going that way in the negative instead of this way in the positive, I have breath in my body. I'm able, I have my limbs, right? I have my mind. Okay. Now I can change my situation. So you can't argue that you can't argue breath in your body because you either have to be dead or have any breath in your body. And when I 
talk to people. I'm like, I talk to people that are homeless, that don't have a pot to piss in. You have a roof on your head and a cell phone and a computer. And these people are, some of these people are smiling and trying to figure out the next step. We just did this thing with the New York Giants, this Worthy of Love event. And it's like, I'm dealing with homeless people that are going, getting bused into to, to, um, MetLife Stadium and then being bused back to a corner, not to a home. And they're smiling and trying to figure it out. If I can just get enough money for a bike, I can go to this job and blah, 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 blah. So what is your excuse? If you have a problem that man can solve, you don't really have a problem. Period. Right? So I always bring it back to gratitude. And when I, you set your base in gratitude, when you set the base of that fundamental thought that like, hey, I'm breathing, I'm alive, I can fight. Right? Then it sets my clients and the people that I talk to, they're like, hey, you're right. Because I can't argue it. There's no argument. You, your argument's going to, I'm going to shoot your argument down. Yep. You're still breathing. You're still breathing. Okay, cool. All that stuff sucks. Everything that you just said sucks, but you're still breathing. You have a shot. Now you said it great. You can either go in the fetal position. Like you could have did that tryout and said, okay, well, you know, these girls are, you know, talking shit to me and they're, they're telling me you know, I'm not going to, or you can step up and say, you know what? F them. I'm going to kill this regardless. That's the way I look at life. Yeah. Adversity. Go ahead. I know you're going to throw punches at me. I know you're going to throw shots. F you, I'm going at it, right? So it's like, it's that fight, flight, or freeze. What do you want to do? And as humans, we all have that choice. You can do those three things if you want. You can fight back. You can freeze and stay in the same spot, the same bullshit relationship, same negative, terrible job. Or you can just run away and say, I'm a tuck tail and I have an attempt. Okay, but that is your choice. That's no one else's. And I can't, I can't make you do anything. I don't care. I can be the best coach in the world. I can... People can say, man, this is a, this coach, he works with Richard Branson and Oprah and all these other places, all these other people. I can't, if you choose in your mind that you do not want to do something, I cannot physically make you do anything. That is on you. So I only take it to a certain point. And then when we get to the point where it's like, they can't even see the gratitude in it, guess what? I probably can't help you, right? I have this amazing friend named Elle in California. <laughs> Maybe call her. Maybe she can get to you because I, I can't do it. I'm going to pass you off like an assist and maybe you, maybe there's someone else that you can click with. Let me ask, I'll, I'll give you an objection on that one. So um, <clears throat> someone listening or watching might say, uh, yeah, easy for you guys to say uh, because you're alpha kind of already somewhat confident people. And so, you know, how do you, or how would you describe and guide someone to develop what I call, I mean, or I mean, anyone calls it, inner confidence. Cause look, you can have the outward confidence, right? I mean, anyone, it, there's a lot of people that can muster the confidence up to speak to 10,000 people, but they are insecure as hell inside looking for validation everywhere. And it's harder it a little bit for those people to jump up and just be like, all right, adversity, what's up? Bring it. Like you and I might say, because we have a little bit of practice in that, or maybe from sports, we got that. What about the person that doesn't have the inner confidence now? That's like, how do I develop that core now? How can I start to cultivate that? Well, you just said it. Practice. You practice this. I practice it. Period. My mind, your mind is your strongest muscle. It is a practice. If I wake up every single day, it doesn't matter how confident I am, inward or outward. If I wake up every day and say, Cornell, you know what? You ain't shit. If I say that every single day, you ain't shit. You ain't nothing. You have bills to base still. You, you, you haven't been on Oprah yet. You haven't been. If I start comparing, comparing my life to other people's, you know, you're not making a million dollars per speech yet. You ain't shit. Guess what? In another month or so, I'm going to think that exact thing. I ain't shit. 
I would come on the show and you'd be coaching me for an hour saying, Cornell, what happened to you? <laughs> it's all practice. It's what you tell yourself every single day. And it's, it's more than uh, positive affirmations. It's more than looking in the mirror and saying, you know what? I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. You have to literally believe it. And I tell people, find things, find things that where you can say like, look, I'm, I'm, this is something I'm good at. This is, this is why I'm great. Right. You can look at your life, Ellen. You can write down some things and say, this is why I'm great. Period. Right. I can write down, this is why I'm great. Now the person that doesn't believe that can't write down anything, but that doesn't mean there are things that aren't there. It just means they don't see it. So they're blocking themselves from seeing the obvious. I can look at most humans and say, you got this about you. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Or you got this about you. That's come. That's dope. I love this about you. But if you don't see it, if you don't practice that yourself every single day, your mind's not, that muscle is not going to get stronger and you're always going to be stuck where you are. Okay. So I, my main thing is practice. What are you telling yourself every single day? I tell people, write it down. Cause you know, they have this like a, uh, write down what you're grateful for. I think that's awesome. Write down one thing that's great about you every single day. Every single day, what, write down something that's great about you. It could be multiple things, it could be the same thing, but write it down and keep it somewhere where you see it. And in the week, two weeks, three weeks, you're like, wow, okay, cool. Like there are things about me that are great, right? But if you're your own obstacle, the hardest part about that is you can't escape it. When I'm my own obstacle, it follows me to the mirror, follows me to the bathroom, follows me everywhere, right? You have people that were chubby in high school that are now like fitness professionals and they look the part and inside, like you're saying, they're screaming, I am not good enough. Someone please like give me a hug or someone give me validation, right? Because they're not practicing it here. Your physical body, that's cool, man. You got an eight pack. That is great. High five. But if you don't think you're shit, right? You're going to think that your whole entire life, right? So it's practice. You have to continue. You practice this every day, Al. I don't even have to know you well to know that you practice every single day. And it's small things, right? It's just when bad things happen, that speed bump happens, telling yourself, oh, I got this. I got this. You got this. You've been through it before. I do the same thing every day. I got speed bumps every freaking day. I got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Oh, that's, that's just permanent speed bumps for now. Yeah, that's, that's straight, straight speed bumps. And it's like, I just tell myself, bro, you got this, man. You got, like, you're good. You're good. So that's how I would say combat that. You know, and also on that note, you know, for people out there that have friends or family members that are working on getting confidence, you can help, even though the, <clears throat> even though the person has to discover for themselves, try to point out something you notice. That could be, you know, you're so diplomatic when you talk with people or, wow, you're so nice to waitress. doesn't matter what it is. Point out something about that person that you, you're such a good friend or you're such a great daughter. It doesn't even matter. Start to dish out some non-superficial compliments and, you know, help those people because you can see it and they need help raising themselves too. But yes, you have to act as if this is an act as if game. A lot of it is. And it just, like you said, it's practice. And at first it's uncomfortable. Seems like a lie and weird to affirm and uh, put things out in the future that aren't necessarily there. But as you and I know that imprints the subconscious and that's the important part of manifesting. I want to ask you about this. You know, one of the things I've talked about a bunch of times is that Um, I carried great shame because I got my hands injured. I have tendonitis in both my hands and I'm fine. No one should cry for me. But I had a lot of shame about this for many, many years because I was damaged. I felt like who would want me? I have this thing. And it was really tough and affected relationships in a negative way until I got over it. Was there anything that you had to deal with in life that you carried great shame about that you, until you got over that, you saw how that was a big blockade for you? Mm. 
That's a great question. I think um, there's two things, actually. When I was really young, I had a bad temper. Like when I'm, I'm talking about like when I was like young, my, my family used to call me um, uh, freaking Donald Duck because when he get pe- he get really pissed off, he just start like just start going going nuts. Like when I was little, I just had this bad, I had all this stuff pent up, right? So if someone said something that I didn't like, I immediately got defensive and came right at them, and that was a like I was ashamed of that because I'm like. I was this happy guy and blah, 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 when everything was going cool. And then little disruption and I'd be like pissed off and ready to argue, right? And so that that really took a lot, a long time of working and healing and understanding that people can have different opinions than you have, right? You don't have to go like, <laughs> it's like how you fight, right? You throw a snowball at me and I throw a rock at you. It's not the same, Right. So like people will throw like lob a snowball and I throw like a shovel, like, yeah, you know, like I'm going to verbally destroy you. Right. <laughs> like Instead of just saying, okay, dude, chill out, listen to what they have to say and have a conversation. Right. I was very, it was very hard for me to have conversations with people that had different, different opinions than I did. Right. I was a more, it was really barbershop-esque, like back and forth talking shit. And instead of just saying like, bro, man, like they have a different opinion. That's cool. Like, relax it's all good you know so i think that thing like i was quick to and trust me when i say this all of us have our trigger points even now where someone says something that just rubs you the wrong way like when like when it comes to ignorance and race and in uh injustice man i i can easily be triggered you know like like easy like and it's like i gotta calm myself like chill out like calm down my mom should tell us all the time like what's the who's the source who's the source that that advice right there is like was like the best advice for me in terms of like calming myself down where is it coming from now if you think about where it's coming from then you can say okay well why am i actually gonna go to this person's level there's a famous coach uh don meyer when he was alive he used to say don't wrestle with pigs because they like to get dirty right they're comfortable in dirt don't why are you gonna wrestle with a the pig they're, they're gonna take you right in those that those muddy waters and they love it you're not comfortable there they love it don't wrestle with them Go, go the other way. Take the high road on that one. Yeah. I want to hear about some other objections and classic things from coaching clients or people that come up to you after speeches. You know, it's so easy once you've made it to a certain place and you're in this mode to see the language people use that are defeating themselves. So for the audience and people out there who kind of know they need to turn around their lives what are some phrases and things you've heard that people might identify with that they're like, going, all right, I said that shit yesterday, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. all right, that, that's me too. You know? So I'm yeah. sure you have a bunch of classic ones. Yeah. Well, the, I'm not good enough is the, one of the biggest things I've, I've heard. I mean, I'm telling you right now, if I took a survey of all the people that I've met and they've said, they say, I'm not good enough in different ways. Well, Oh, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Like, I don't know if I'm, I, I don't know. That seems like I don't have the experience. All that stuff. All that stuff is. I'm not good enough. In that, you're just saying it in a different language. And those, that one right there, gets me because when I first picked up a basketball, I was 16 years old, and I was god awful, like baby deer shot in two leg awful. Like I was, yes, super late. I was terrible. I got cut from varsity as a junior. Didn't play at all my senior year. Played like a minute a game, but I worked out six hours, seven hours a day because I'm a psychopath and. I, had, I was on a mission, right, to, to become better. So I don't prescribe to I'm not good enough. My whole thing is, are you putting the work in? 
So whenever I get, I'm not good enough, I ask them, or well, are you putting the work in? A lot of times it's no. That's why you feel inadequate. So if you give me a test L tomorrow over some, on a subject I don't know about, and I don't study for it, I'm, I'm going to feel very insecure. I'm not going to feel confident about, confident about taking the test. But if you give me a month and you say, Cornell, here are the notes, research these notes, then I'm going to research those notes. I'm going to put the work in. So that test, that success or failure is all on me. So if you don't feel good enough, right, if you feel like you're lacking or whatever it is, you have to ask yourself, well, what kind of work am I putting in? Is my, do I have that, am I putting in that sweat equity, right? Am I putting in the work to be, to, to do what I want to do? So that's the main, I always hear I'm not good enough. When I hear anything else, I'm just like, it's kind of, I'm not good enough in like a different way, but it's like people, even in relationships, right? You have people that stay in these relationships that are God awful, terrible, and they just don't think they're good enough to find someone else. Yeah, I want to touch on that. So that's, um, I've heard this. I asked somebody once <clears throat> before they were getting married, I was like, you really want to do this? Just, you know, just have to devil's advocate making sure I'm your friend. Yeah. Is this the right thing? I feel like I need to ask that question. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, their answer was very sad. It was a very settling answer. They said, well, I think there might be greener pastures. I just don't think they're for me. Meaning I think there's better. I just don't think I can get it. And, you know, I think a lot of people think that way, right? It's like, well, there may be something better or, well, but this is okay over here. And I'm too afraid to leave shitty okay or content, yucky, or not that great, but kind of just okay to go try and take a risk to see if there is something better because then I might lose that. Then you're like, yeah, but wouldn't be such a bummer if you fucking lost that over there because that's not sounding so exciting either. Um, So I hear you on that. That's such an important thing. People have to realize and until you, you know, it's the old quote, whether you believe in God or not, aliens, doesn't matter. God helps those who help themselves. Mm-hmm. You're never, ever, it, you can't hang out in something crappy and expect something awesome to show up the door to take you out of the crappy. You've got to jump out. Of, and when I, I've seen this recently, I've seen two people, very tough, make a very hard decision to leave a relationship that, you know, could easily stayed in a lot of commingling things codependent stuff, keeping them together. And the moment they said, you know what? No, because it doesn't matter what the story is, or it doesn't matter about this appearances. I'm not happy. I cannot tell you the rain shower of gifts that came on them from the universe. It was like, well, the moment you pick up the strength and say, I want better, the universe will jump in and throw you so many examples of like, yeah, going in the right direction. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Routine's a bitch. Period. It's a bitch. Like when you get into a routine of, and it becomes a habit, right? That's what it, 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 habitat. It's like, you know, like if you think of just the word habit, all right, right? Like if we're going to inhabit the same space, okay? Where it's, it, it becomes a routine. Like every day I wake up, hey, Al, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good, hon. Okay, let's go to work. Okay, we come back from work. Okay, we have the kids. Put the kids down. Okay, let's go to sleep. Let's do the same thing. 10 years can go by like that. Because your mind is locked into this habit and this routine. So you kind of mask some of the bad things because you're comfortable in it. This is what you do every day. So if you take the 405 to the whatever, right? And then one day I say, you know what, Al? We're going to change your whole entire, the whole entire way you go to work. We're going to go this way, this way, this way. You got to take two turns, three turns, and then go here. You're like, well, why would I do that? I'm not used to that. It's easier to go. You're going to fight it, fight it, fight it, fight it, fight it. And then one day you're going to say, wow, this is quicker, right? We get caught in this routine and we get caught in these relationships where we're so comfortable 
that we can't see anything outside of it, right? It's like that book, uh, Who Moved My Cheese? My mom gave me that book a long time ago. And it's like these two mice that are like eating cheese and getting fat. And yeah, this cheese is here forever. We're never going to have to worry about anything. They, they wake up one day and the cheese is freaking gone. And they're like, holy shit. And one of them is sitting there like, I'm not leaving. The cheese is going to come back. And the other one's like, bro, I'm out. I'm finding some cheese. I'm not, we're going to die here. And the other one was so content with staying in that routine that he was willing to die and wait for the cheese to come back. And the other one's like, bro, it's not coming back. It's gone. Right. So I think that's the hardest thing about breaking routine. It's like, you're so comfortable. It's like, man, not like, especially you have kids or you have, you're like, how's this going to work? Like now I got to see my kids whatever other weekend. Now we're going to have to co-parent. Like what, like, what am I going to, no, I can't do that. You know, and you start putting other things in the way of it. Well, we work at the same job or we have the same friends or we have the same, but you're miserable and you're not happy. So what does all that matter? Like you said, what's the alternative? Be in a shitty relationship, right? Be miserable every single day. Have someone that talks down to you every single day that doesn't make you feel like you're a human, right? So that temporary struggle is going to be worth it, but we're not willing to go through the temporary struggle to get past that. Uh, let's touch on a few of your book titles because there's several I see. We've got The Power of Positivity, Extraordinary, Power of Me, right? So g- tell us a little bit. What's the latest one? And and maybe give us a little little spiel on a couple of them. Well, Extraordinary is the latest one. Uh, that's the distance between good and great. And what I wanted to tell people in that book is that the distance between good and great is so much closer than you think it is. And it's all mindset and work ethic, right? That's the distance between good and great. You know, you hear it all the time. Success is the distance between your left ear and your right ear, right? It's all your mindset. So when I was writing that book, it was funny. It was fun for me because I'm writing this book about like mindset and, and kind of just believing yourself and working hard. And I, like, I write how I speak. So if you read my books, it's like, it's, they're funny because I like to joke around and goof around. So like, that's what my books are. They're not like, okay, chapter three, how to, like, it's not me right? So all my books, they don't, you know, you can read a chapter and then skip five chapters, read another chapter. It doesn't flow. It's not chronological. It's just like, they're just points. It's like me thinking of stuff and just kind of talking, like speaking on it. My first book, The Power of Positivity, Controlling Where the Ball Bounces, was more more my story and people that came into my life that affected me in a way where it it changed and helped shift my mindset that there's more out there than what I was doing. So in that book, I have a, a story about this guy, um, Dan Scoville, who was uh, um, Dan Copeland, who was uh, passed away from terminal, uh, had terminal illness. He had cancer, stage four cancer. But I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and he, I met him through jiu-jitsu. And when the last time I saw him, you know, uh, two weeks before he passed away, he was on the mats and I got a chance to train with him. We trained light and I'm like, here's this guy that is, doesn't have, the doctor said he has a month to live right? And he's on the mats training Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you know? And it was such an inspiration to me. And I was like, you know, I said to myself, like, when I write my book, I want to honor him and put him in my book. And when I was doing the audio version of my first book, which I didn't finish, but when I started doing it, I started reading the chapter. I met my friends. I started crying. I said, holy crap. Like, we're, like he's sitting, my buddy's sitting right there and I'm just reading the chapter. And I just started crying. And I needed like five minutes. And I said, man, I just never let this out. You know, when I was writing it, I, I was sad, but I never like let this out. So that was that book. And the Power of Me Army of One is somehow, 
sometimes how I felt, where it's like, I don't have a publicist. I don't have an agent. I don't have any, it's all me. You know how it is. Like we do what we do. Right. So I, something like the front cover is just a different versions of me all around, like all around. Right. And it's like all the different hats that I wear. It's just like, Hey guys, anything is possible, you know? And I, I just truly believe that like, Oh, it's all possible. Everything that you want to do has already been done. I listened to this guy, uh, Neville Goddard and, uh, He's he's from 1940s or whatever. He's great. And he's awesome. But like all like all the stuff you hear now is all recycled. Like people don't understand. Like James out the as a man think was 1902. You no, know, all this it's all the stuff that you hear. Tony Robbins, Les Brown, all the us. Like we all say the same thing. It's just our stories that make it different, right? But this has been us since the beginning of time. All this teaching. It's just I've never been tuned to it until I started doing this. I've been tuned to it because my mom is planted some little things. Everything happens for a reason, you know, paying it forward. You get, when you give, you get back exponentially. She said those things to me, but like now going back and going back to like the forties and thirties and twenties and seeing this stuff. And now people say in the same exact words that these guys were saying. Right. So it's like, I just believe that everything has already happened. Right. It's just walking into it and growing into it. Right. So I, I completely went on a tangent on your question, but all my books are about, um, about mindset. My next book is called um, uh, Dreamlistic, uh, Reaching for the Stars with Your Feet on the Ground. Because people want everyone to Jerry Maguire their jobs. Like, oh, you, want, you don't like your job? Leave it. It's okay. Jump. The net's going to appear. And I'm like, no, dummy, don't, because you have to be strategic, right? While you're doing your day job, have an exit strategy so you can get your dream job. And that's why people in our space get into trouble. Like, and people look at it like, oh, that's BS, right? And they think about Chris Farley down by the river, you know, bit, because people are like, oh, leave your job. Why would you leave your job? You got kids and a family. You don't leave your job. You work your job, but when you're finished working your job, you find your exit strategy. So my whole, that book is all about, yeah, dream big. No one dreams bigger than I do, but I, ha- I'm, I move strategically. I don't just jump all the time and say, okay, maybe my kids and I will be on the street. No, man. Like you, you have to also plan for what you want. Right. Or in that situation, the only time I've seen it where it works perfectly is when the person doing a bold, really risky move like that has ultimate faith. Because the thing is, is that, and this is where, you know, the movie, the secret people kind of didn't understand or misinterpreted things. It was like, Oh, I just go buy a Jaguar, but I don't have any money. And you're like, no, because with that attitude, you're going to drive off the lot and smash that Jaguar. Don't drive off the Jaguar lot, all pissed off and aggravated about, no, you'd have to drive off that lot with pure faith that the money would come. And a lot of people can't get to that point right away. It's something you have to cultivate. But I did see one person do it long time ago, really was in the law of attraction, really into this mindset. And they did quit a job without having another. They just had faith. And there was a time sensitive thing for them where they either had to quit that job or like work another year because of what was happening. And they made the bold move. And I'll tell you, they wanted a job as a, in an industry they had never been in before. They, they didn't even know or see anyone that could bring it to them. And of course it came in and they have now progressed in that career to the top. And I keep reminding them, I'm like, do you remember when you, anytime they have a, a blip of loss of faith, I just go, uh, you just, but you know, unless you have that, don't do it. I agree with you. Um, but on that note too, on the converse, don't not pursue something you think is unrealistic. You know, that's in quotations because, uh, you're going to regret on your deathbed that you never tried it. 100%. So you got to try it. It doesn't mean you have to leave your whole life to do it, but you got to try it, whether it's on the side, whether it's yeah. in concurrent, right? 
love you to speak give on just that. Talk about dreams. Give it a shot. I mean, I what what's the what's the worst thing that can happen? You end up right where you are right now. That's what I tell people. Like, what's the worst thing that can happen? You end up right where you are right now. If you have a roof over your head, okay. If you have a, a cell phone, you have a car. The worst thing you can do of going after a dream, you just land right where you are. That's fine. And then just go after it again. You learn your lessons from it. I, I, I don't believe in losses. I really don't. Like, yeah, there are failures out there for sure. You can say it's a failure, but if you learn from it, it doesn't have to stay a failure. It's just a, a life lesson. Every adversity that I go through, everything that I don't succeed in at first, it's just a chapter to the story. It's not the story. What we do is we make failures and losses the story. And then when you make it, then you know people that make it the story because every time you talk to them, it's the worst day of their life. And it's always just, oh my God, I'm going through this, blah, blah, blah. It's the story. It's not a chapter for you. So you're never going to move on. It's going to be the longest damn story your whole entire freaking life. But if you say, oh, this is chapter four, chapter five's coming up, I'm done. Right? And then you'll be done with it. Right? So I'm 100% with you. Like, I dream huge. My dreams that scare the shit out of people. Right? I dream so big. But man, I, I move strategic. Like, I've left the job not knowing exactly where I was going to go. But I had an idea like, okay, it's going to be in this or I have an interview set up or, you know, like I'm going to make something happen. So yeah, I just, I think it's funny that people, you know, don't realize that if you just strategically plan for it and you just kind of look at it and you say, okay, this, these are the moves I can make, you know, you can do it. Like I started speaking. I had no one show me what to do. No one showed me how to be a speaker. I didn't go to someone's speaking class. Right. I didn't, I just wanted to go out there and share my message and, I figured you figure it out. You just have to work for it. I love it. Let's uh, talk about this event you have coming up here soon. Uh, Give us the dates and give us, and we'll of course put everything we need in the show notes, but give us like the website, the dates and what we need if someone's listening and they want to go sign up. Awesome. So it is the Positivity Summit. It's our third one. We did one in New Jersey, one in New York, and now this one in Los Angeles. It's October 20th and 21st in uh, General Assembly in downtown LA. And uh, it's going to, our next one's going to be in Toronto. The next one's going to be in Philly. And then we're, I think we're going to go to England in 2020. So I want to do three all over the world every single year. And the event is different because uh, I actually discovered the event myself because I was at a uh, Tony Robbins event, a date with destiny event. And I was sitting there, I was like, yeah, this event's cool. Like, you know, I want to see him as a speaker more than anything. I said, but a couple things. One, the average price is like $3,500 ticket. So I was like, no less than one percent of the people population can go to this. I said. The second thing is, is when you leave, you're going to have all these amazing notes. But we never pick up our notes because when we get home, life happens, right? So you're in this bubble of positivity, and you're like, "Yeah, I'm excited," and you're chest bumping and high fiving people. And then you're going home, you're like, "Oh shit, I got bills," right? And it's like you forget it. So I wanted to do an event where it wasn't just me speaking. I wanted to get like a really diverse dais of different people with different backgrounds that look different and share their stories. But I also wanted to have a day of paying it forward and helping others in need because that's an experience. It's not notes, right? So one day speakers, workshop, you know, great interacting, networking, blah, blah, blah. The second day is we're actually going on the street instead of just talking shit about helping the planet, we're going to like, we're going to go actually help. So in New York, we did this homeless outreach. We walked from like West 24th Street to like Penn Station, like gave out sandwiches, gave out. I would go into like random coffee places and just go up to the counter and say, okay, can you buy the next 20 coffees and just walk out? And people were like, who is they? They're like trying to stop me as I was walking out. Like, who is that guy? Thank you. I mean, over a $5 cappuccino, people were like 
stop it. Like, who is he? Who, they kept asking people I was with, like, who is he? And I had, I'd have a bunch of us. We'd go to different coffee places all over New York and we'd just give them, give them the $30, give them $20 and say, okay, pay for this. And there's so much gratitude. So imagine if you're in line, you're having a really crappy day, just had an argument with your boyfriend or your husband or your wife or whatever. And then someone just comes in and buys your coffee. What do you want to do? It makes you want to help someone else, right? It's so contagious. So my big picture goal is, right, in downtown LA, in general, send me 150 people to be in this one. Toronto, 300. And then eventually go. And by 2022, I want to have a big international one where everybody that have been in all the positivity summits, we get to like a central area and we have like 10,000 people come and think about the pay it forward that we can do with 10,000 people. Like what is actually possible? Because I want to show the planet that it doesn't matter what you look like or who you pray to. There are good humans in this world. There, how in the hell would me and you connect? And I tell this to people all the time, like you keep thinking there's no help. There's no hope, but like there's hope. Because the great, great people are connecting with each other and making their missions bigger, right? I meet Rob. Rob tells me about you. And like, I met Rob just happenstance. And we're just finding each other. And this movement of like positive thinking and loving one another and being inclusive, it's just growing. It's the reason it's under the radar because we turn your TV, they have desperate housewives of insert whatever city, right? <laughs> and they have this craziness on the news. They don't show us yet. But we're so loud, they're going to have no choice but to show. The amount of people that listen to your podcast, it's going to be quadrupled in a year, right? It's getting louder and louder and louder and louder. They're not going to be able to stop it, right? So this is the time, you know? This is the time for us to build. Like when a storm comes through and wipes out everything, you can let that storm just wipe out everything and look at that desolate land, or you can start planting seeds, right? You can start building up that land again. That's what we're doing right now. We're just planting seeds and building it up. And at some point, it's going to be all this. And the world's going to be a beautiful place. I might not be around. You might not be around. My kids might be around or their kids might be around, right? But we're planting seeds right now. So it's going to be an, it's going to be an awesome, awesome, awesome time to be alive. Where do we go online, even though we'll put all of the notes in, you know, in the show notes, but where do we go to sign up for the Positivity Summit? Yeah, cornell-thomas.com. And it's right on the front page. After you see my mug, you it's a Los Angeles Positivity Summit. Click on there. Uh, anybody that is a friend of L's is a friend of mine. So if you put in your promo code, which will put Cornell Fam, C-O-R-N-E-L-L-F-A-M, uh, I believe it's like $75 off the ticket um, for a two, full two-day event. It's going to be amazing. And I'd love to see you guys there. That's awesome. I want to mention something you said about, you know, when you went out in New York and you, you know, you dropped $30 at a coffee place and, you know, imagine the person that was just so happy that they got that free cappuccino or, or whatever it was. Um, that person probably went and told everyone they knew as well that day, like, oh my gosh, today, right? They, they shared it. And then that put that notion into everyone's head who heard it. And yeah. even just the person who's hearing it thinking, wow, someone did that you know, that's just a lifter. That's a lifter up for people. You can't, you know, so it, it, it spreads regardless, right? It's not just the person that got the coffee. They literally, because that's just statistic wise, they are going to tell several people about that. Um, yeah. So I just love those acts that you're doing versus make it more interactive, like you said, than just this, just talking. I think that that's wonderful. Um, what would you like to leave our audience with for people out there that, you know, need some, need some help? 
Yeah. Um, I would like to, one, leave you with this. You're in the right place. So if you're listening to L every single podcast, then you're definitely in the right place because you're getting just amazing information. And the second thing I would say is understand you were chosen for this life, right? You were chosen for it for whatever reason. You know, we can't help it, right? We can't pick it. Like we were chosen. So figure out what your mission is on this planet. Like spend your, spend your life figuring out what am I supposed to do? Okay. The thing that sucks is we didn't get instructions, right? We were just born. We didn't get instructions. No one said, Hey, you know what, Cornell, when you are 30 something years old, this is what you're going to get into, or you're going to get injured here. There is no, there is no manual for life. You got to figure it out. But that self-discovery is so important because the moment you stop dreaming is that's the moment where you start slowly dying. You have to have something bigger in your mind. There has to be something bigger that you want to go for. It doesn't have to be some grandiose thing, but never stop dreaming about being more or doing more for yourself or for someone else. And that is the most important life tip I can ever give you. It's I'm always thinking, man, it's bigger than me. How can I help like leave this planet a better place? Because we just rent space. We don't own shit. You know, your car, your clothes, all that stuff in a hundred years ain't going to be there right? There'd be a whole recycled group of human beings trying to figure it out. So how do we leave this place a little bit better? I love it. Also, do you coach one-on-one? Do you have coaching programs? How can we benefit from you other than reading your, you know, books and hearing you speak? Yeah, uh, I speak all over. So if you are, if you run events or you're, I speak at corporations, I speak at schools, I speak literally anywhere. If you want to bring me in to speak. And I also, I'm a one-on-one coach. I've been doing that for a while now. I, I really love one-on-one coaching. I don't do um, a lot of masterminds and things like that. I love just sitting down and having conversations. So that's, and again, that's on the website as well. So you can always reach out to me and you'll have my like, you know, on Instagram, whatever. I have people that DM me all the time. They're like, Hey, do you do coaching or can you come speak? And the answer is usually always yes. Especially if you're a good person, I'm going to learn about you. But if you're a good human being and you want to better your life, I will always make time for, for those people. So yeah, please contact me. I get back to people right away. I'm not like, I'm not some bougie dude where I don't contact people back. <laughs> I would never call you a bougie dude. You seem way too, way too cool for that. Um, Cornell Thomas, that's cornell-thomas.com. We're going to put everything in the show notes, including how to connect with him on Instagram and elsewhere. You can go to amazon.com. We'll also put all the links to his books as well. Thank you so much for joining us. I'd love to have you back on the show. Talk maybe all about finding one's purpose because I know there's a lot of people struggling. Anytime you want me, I will be there with bells on. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us and I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, episode of the Primal Blueprint Podcast. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. So, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my gosh. So she likes like the mayo on a Oh yeah, she so she loves those sort of, we love them as well. We have uh we, we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo, we eat the balsamic, we eat the the ranch, um the avocado oil we use all the time. And and so, you know, that's completely genuine and I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. 
What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish Balance Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure.